Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noel, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. J.G. Emanuel, you are a therapist and a counselor, a marriage counselor, and a psychotherapist in qualifications. You are out of Ontario, Canada, and you can be found at emmanueltherapy.com. Welcome to Listening with Leaders. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the therapy world. Good question. Um, so a little bit about me is that... I was born and raised in Vancouver, Canada, which is on the opposite end of the country. Um, I grew up Orthodox Jewish and still Orthodox Jewish today. Um, and growing up in a city like Vancouver, where there's not much Orthodox Jewish or Jewish at all, not 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 many people that it's a very secular. Them. It's a very secular city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very secular. Very just very, very different than what it was like in my home. Um, and when you grow up like that, you kind of start to consider things differently. You look at the world a little differently. You want to want to see like, where do I fit? How do things line up? What's, what am I doing differently? Why am I doing it differently? Um, and then, yeah, over time, as I grew up and as I continued to grow up, um, I, I developed an interest in counseling and psychotherapy, the therapy world in general, but in specific people's individualized approaches to values, meaning, purpose, and how they align themselves with the world around them. Um, and that kind of led me into this field. In a, that's, that's the vague answer. um what is it about yourself that you think uniquely qualifies you or makes you different from all the other therapists and psychotherapists and counselors that are out there i think there are a couple things one of them is my is my background how i grew up i'm a very unique place in the world I, i i was raised to intentionally live around people that have different perspectives from you so i was raised part of the value system i was raised with was that it is essential to be around people who don't see the world the same way as you which is always true nobody sees the same the world the same way as anybody else but to to seek out people who are different not to seek out people who are the same so from a young age, my my development included curiosity about others. That's part of how I was raised. That's my parents planted that in my DNA, maybe even before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was our home. Our home was like that as well. 
so that's like that's part one i would say that's who i am and i think that's that that is that is unique i wasn't wasn't raised in a wasn't raised to f- seek out people who are like me which is i think it's different so um, you're pretty curious about people who are you you have a very deep curiosity about people who are different than you are very much so very much so yeah so so much so that it was hard for me at times to interact with people who are the same or seem the same like so other, much so that, other orthodox jewish people who thought had the same values and beliefs yeah which is funny by the way because it it totally contradicts my value system i want to be a curious guy and i'm making all these assumptions about people who are you know like me but what do i know about them <laughs> so um that's the one end uh, on the other end i think i think i take a fairly direct approach to my job and in that i mean i think the safe space of therapy is very important it is it's essential but i think i i strive to bring more than that to therapy i strive to bring a set of tools and skills that can i, I can help my clients to insert into their lives i don't want to say to use all the time but to kind of plant them in where needed and while that's not different than any other therapist per se i really i, I put a and we've spoken about this before doug that that I, I put a i put a very intense pressure on on myself to perform so much so that sometimes it harms the way that i perform in work and otherwise um I'm not sure if that answered the question. You, you told me. That's okay. Yeah. So um, I, I, it, you, you, I think you work, you work with men and yes. you also do some couples work. Yes. Tell me about what's drawing you to, to, to work with men. What are the kinds of problems that they come to you with? I think it's firstly just such an important, it's so funny because it's so broad men. Like it's not a, <laughs> it's one of the sexes. Um, but it's, 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 we are raised societally and by our families and whatever, all the context around us as men really not to approach our emotions. I don't want to say to, to hide them or to, or to pretend they're not there. We're not trained to, to, to approach our emotions. And I mean, right. We're not, we are not trained to be emotionally competent. Yeah, not at all. And our, our upbringing, a lot of our upbringing is emotions are bad. Emotions are feminine. Emotions are irrational. Emotions allow you to be exploited and make you weak. Yeah. And and so this whole cultural concept of emotions versus the rugged individualist, which, by the way, never existed. It's a myth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's what you're referring to. Very much so. I, <clears throat> it's look back at like the old testament the bible where i come from what we look at all the time and all of our heroes were gentle gentle giants they Mm -hmm. they they cried for for loss that they experienced and they you know they mourned things they got excited very happy passionate 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 they experienced they experienced the highs and the lows and they experienced them and they they made something of those moments um and that's not what that's not what we as men do and i'm talking about myself as well not this is it's funny because again 
my work is to help people unlock these skills or to open up some awareness. And I find myself every day, all the time doing the total opposite. <laughs> I'm a walking contradiction, but it's, but it's, that's, it's a, it's a lifelong process. It's not just like, right. Open it up. And then now I'm emotionally aware and competent and I can identify what I'm feeling. It doesn't work like that. It's, it's a growth process. Yeah. Very much. You, so. get, you do get to a point where you can say, I am emotionally self-aware. I do know what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling X and you, you, you do get to that level. Um, and actually, you can get to it quicker than most people imagine with the right tools. Uh, so are men are coming to you because they want to change or because they've hit something in their life that requires them to change? Or they're just feeling so much pain they need to they need to find a, a different way of being? I think all of the above. Okay. A, a lot of times men come to me because of, you know, an issue with a spouse or an issue with a parent, but very, very quickly, many times, very, very quickly, you'd, you'd be surprised at how quickly men will identify an early relationship dynamic with their parents. So they're not coming to try to solve something from their past, but they point to that really quickly. This is how my mom did it when I was five. What we're talking about, like how you got angry at a pickup basketball game. Why are you talking about when you're five years old? It's totally formative. Yeah, yeah. Because and, yeah, yeah, because what's happening is at five and six years old, the child is learning for the first time that he's living in an emotionally unsafe world. Exactly. His mom is no longer there for safety. Exactly. And 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 it's it's really hurtful. And that's and the and so the little boys. It happened to me. You start wrapping yourself up in concrete, so yeah. you don't feel you don't feel the hurt, and you can put on a, a, a strong face in front of everybody and be socially accepted. Yeah, and that's that's the key. There you go. That's what I was that's what I was going to. I like that you said that too because it's the presenting problem. If I were to generalize, is a desire to be socially accepted. It's every human's need to be heard, to be appreciated, and to be loved. Yeah, exactly. And how can you be that way? If you don't love yourself, you don't appreciate yourself, you can't hear yourself. How can Not you expect other people to do the same for you? One of the questions I ask a lot of my clients, um, it's not part of a specific line of questioning, but it comes up often, is if you have children... What do you do for your child when your child is upset? Yes. And immediately I pick them up. I hug them. I ask them if they're okay. I check in on them. I try and, I try and understand what the issue is. All these things are they're They don't do for themselves. Not ever. Right. Ever. Right. But they're okay doing it with the children. Yeah. I know. It's very strange. Talk to me about, um, you do some couples work too. Yes. And, and what in couples work, what is it that you're trying to help, help them work through? So in couples work, there's, there's this interesting cycle that I see with couples is that people have a belief that they, they need to be supportive or nurturing which is true, 100%. There's an innate desire to do that. 
but so much so that when they see a breakdown in the relationship, it's almost like hit the panic button. I'm obviously doing my job wrong. Now I'm going to retreat. And then I'm not going to be able to do my job anymore. And this vicious cycle happens, right? And from both sides, right? Because nobody wants to upset their partner, their spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, whoever it is. And that's, that's what I'm seeing mostly. You might have somebody who's saying, my spouse cheated on me. They're, they have a habit that they're hiding from me. You might have somebody who's saying that we fight all the time. People who are very distant. And it very much, very frequently, almost all of the time, comes down to the same, the same issue, which is that the expectation of the individuals involved in the relationship is distorted slightly. So the way I see it, yeah. from the peacemaker's perspective, not the therapist, yeah. uh, is that oftentimes when couples couples come to each other um, because of love and because of lust, and then that eventually grows into love. But in, if they're dysfunctional, they carry with them expectations that my needs are going to be met, even though I don't have to, st- I, I may not even know what my expectations are, but I just know that my my true love is going to take care of me and meet all of my emotional and physical expectations without me having to say anything. Yep. And that's very infantile because that's exactly what how you were as an infant. Mom had to read into, mom and dad had to read into, you got a little baby. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. Mom and dad have to take care of the little baby because the baby can't meet his or her own needs. And so for the first year or two of life, that's what mom and dad do. They take care of needs. And so now that gets transmuted in adulthood to thinking that my true love is going to take take fulfill me and take care of all my own needs and that's just not how it works and so you've got two couple two people who have these unstated assumptions and expectations that get uh they they get shattered by behavior because the needs aren't getting met and now all of a sudden you have conflict yeah and that's like i think i think it's like the flip side of the same coin what we're i think we're we're talking about I think we're talking about the same thing. Whereas I'm looking at it from like what they believe the role of a caretaker is. And you're look and what you're saying is from the role, the role of the taken care of. Right. The I think it's the same thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and 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 from my perspective as a peacemaker and your perspective as everybody, I think we have the same solution. Get them to listen to each other. Yeah. It's not easy. <laughs> well, actually, it is. I mean, from my perspective, it is. Yeah. Because I teach them, you know, and I've shared these skills with you. I teach them how to listen to each other into existence. So when I'm dealing with a difficult conversation between a couple, first thing I tell them is this is not about talking. This is about listening. And you're going to ignore the words and only listen to the emotions. And I'll have the couple sit down and we can. I've done this on Zoom and I've, of course, done it in person. And I'll say who's going to start and somebody starts and then the listener i will start listening to that person's emotions and i will just i'll reflect back their emotions i'll ignore their words all i'm doing you're angry you're frustrated you're upset you don't feel heard you don't feel what there's a whole process for doing this and then i'll have the other partner repeat what i just did and you can just see the speaker decompress because now for the first time 
deeply heard. Feels deeply heard. Yeah. And then we reverse the roles. And in the beginning, it's a little tough for them because they've never gotten the idea of how to listen to emotions. Yeah. But in conflict situations, it immediately de-escalates the anger and the upset. And I'm thinking in and in difficult conversations, it transforms the difficult to, to transform it. I mean, it takes takes a difficult conversation and makes it a transformative conversation. Yeah. Because now we're really at the core of where people are at at their emotional level. And that's interesting that you say that also, because it's it's part of my job as a therapist is to assess if people are ready to do the work. Right. And sometimes it's not the case. Right. But generally speaking, when a couple comes in, they're half ready. They want a new, they want something new. They want a different approach. They want to do a better job and they want to feel better, but they also want to feel heard. Like they, which it seems like those two work against each other. No. But in fact, the it's, it, it's not how it works at all. It's, not it's exactly. when you pour into that listening funnel, you, you, you actually join forces. That's right. Because as the listener, you are serving your partner by being buying the listener. And as the speaker or the storyteller, you are now getting the opportunity to be, to be listened into existence, to be deeply, deeply heard. And so it strengthens the relationship where one is serving, the other is receiving, and then they flip roles and do it exactly the opposite. It's extremely powerful. Yeah. Extremely powerful. So how important is listening in your work? Kind of a dumb question, I guess, huh? <laughs> it's not actually. No, because I think also, I, I, I think I've mentioned this to you before, specifically to you, that so listening is important in my work. Listening is important. It's an important skill to train my clients, but it's important for me. And it may sound like a stupid question, but it's really not because when you feel highly trained at something or when you feel like you have a job to do, you lose sight of, or I lose sight, I can speak for myself. I often lose sight of what the actual mission is. I'm looking for outcomes. And it's funny because one of the things that I'm talking about with my clients all the time is we're not outcome-driven people. When we're driven by outcomes, that's where anxiety starts to happen because right. we, lose, we lose track of that mission in, in the middle, that journey. And so listening is... Listening is essential and not just listening to what I want to hear. I'm not looking for points so that I can get, you know, to my, my method. I don't want to hear talking points so that I can say, oh, this is what you do with that. Anxiety, acceptance, anger, acceptance, you know, relationship issues, listening. I can't just point when I hear, I have to really listen to what's going on. I have to, I have to be willing to accept the possibility that I don't know the answer that so that like that's how deeply important listening is i have to let myself absorb the entire picture knowing in full well that it's entirely possible i don't have the answer and, and when i do that i often do come to the answer right and the and the trick to that is not allowing your own inherent filters or spin your spin doctors inside your yeah. brain <laughs> to spin what you're hearing to what you want to hear right. as opposed to what you should be hearing Right. That's part of the reason why I find that listening to emotion and reflecting emotion is so powerful because there's no room for spin. Right. What I'm doing is focusing on what you're feeling. What are your emotional experiences? And, and then re re restating it to you, reflecting it to you. And 
I can't, it's, they're your emotions. So I can't spin what you're feeling. I can only reflect what you're feeling. Right. It's a great point. And it also opens up the opportunity for clarification or, That's right. or, you know, yeah. Clarification, a conversation, real, real talk. Exactly. Um, how much listening do you do in your, in your personal life with your family? I try. <laughs> it's just basically you can be an expert and on the outside yeah. on the inside you know in your personal life it maybe not as optimal as it, it you would expect it to be <laughs> totally totally and as and it's fun, again as a therapist again it's i was just speaking with some somebody some another therapist recently about how easy it is to develop this complex about your identity and your job it's so easy to get caught up in being a professional life liver because you're a therapist mm -hmm. but you're not and it, it, you, you we really have to take a lot of our own advice and probably often seek therapy on our own or or counseling in some in some capacity because you're you you're your job is to live to listen and then it's almost like sometimes you want a break to just be heard you know what i'm saying i do the need to be heard is so powerful and it's so often unfulfilled yeah that you will talk and talk and talk and talk because you want to be heard when uh and and the problem is that the people around you don't know how to listen so that your need is unrequited and it just gets more and more frustrating and, and you feel more and more alienated. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's a common theme amongst therapists specifically. Yeah. The therapists, the therapists are doing all the listening, but they have a need to be heard themselves. Yeah. And there's nobody the therapist can go to, to be listened to. Yeah. And, and I think professionally too, there's probably a code of, toughness right we can we can we can hear the worst and deal with the worst and yeah know, it's not going to affect us and that's the constant paradox of this career right. it's this you're 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 fighting all the same battles and maybe on this like one step higher because you you've put yourself on this like i'm a therapist <laughs> welcome <laughs> to my office right and and you really have to it's you have to be humble and but you also have to give yourself credit that and and allow yourself to experience feeling uh, listen to yourself right so how do you how do you engage in self-care a, a few different ways uh, be honest since i had a kid five weeks ago not not very well <laughs> <laughs> well you're at a, you're at a stage in life where you're not getting a lot of sleep <laughs> yeah um yes tired is not the word right but um in general so exercise is important for me very important for me like mm -hmm. it just i'm I'm a big guy and I, I lug around a lot of weight. Um, so I, it's important for me to get a lot of sweat in every day. You got to do that. That's one thing. It clears my mind. It's a time to think or it's a time to not think at all. It's time to just focus on one thing or focus on every, like just I'm in my own zone and I can do that. Um, that's one thing. Interestingly enough, like Jewish learning is something that's important for me as well. The theme amongst the things that that I that I uh, do for self care are that they're things that I feel align with 
my value system or my belief system. So it's not necessarily things I don't need to take a nap or I don't need to smoke a cigar. I don't need to have a whiskey. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes it could be something that totally might seem like it would drain someone entirely, but it's something that I feel is essential to my life. So self-care to me, me that's what it really means. It's not, it's not, I don't need to unwind. Some part of that might be unwinding, but that's only an element of the self-care mm-hmm. map that I have. So it's like a, a variety of things. Let's say exercise, engaging in my religious practices, um, reading things that interest me in my own sports, like playing sports, watching sports, reading about sports. All these little things contribute to self-care. It's just me feeling like I'm doing the things that align with me. Good. And and that you keep you relaxed and and so you're not an, an unbottled up, more expansive. Exactly. Yeah. And I would imagine being a new father is probably a new experience too. Yes. <laughs> it is a new experience. A wild thing. It's a wild miracle. So if you were to think about what advice you could give to people based on what you've learned so far in your life as a therapist uh, and a counselor in terms of striving for balance and happiness, what kind of advice would you give them? I think two things. One is that you are okay. And it sounds a little cliche, but it's, but it's true. And I mean it very deeply. Um, I mean to say that in, in, in terms of full acceptance of your whole reality, all the things that happened to you before, all things that are happening now, all the things you think and feel because of those, those are all part of the picture. And that's, that's you. You don't need to get rid of those things. So that's, that's one thing. You're okay. And the other thing is that while it is important to be part of society, community, and to live according to societal norms, it's also important to recognize that we have individualized value systems and that we can live by those and we can live by those values and according to those values even as we integrate into different societies or societies that look different to our internal society so, so, so we, we can which uh, what what you're saying is that we don't we don't have to compromise on our values you know, in order to live by our values. We may have to be creative about how we live and may have to be thoughtful about how we live, but compromising on those things that are important to us is unnecessary. Yeah, unnecessary and and it's and it it can be hurtful because that's when we when we do that, we start to really lose ourselves. And you'll you'll pick it up 15 years later and think about where was I? Exactly. All right, one more question. Yeah. <laughs> A little more. Well, I've had asked you a lot of personal questions. This one's kind of fun. I like personal. <laughs> this one's this one's kind of fun. What's the one thing about you, JJ, that we wouldn't know unless you revealed it to us? Oof. I guess you'll never know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> One thing you wouldn't know unless I revealed it to you. Very open. Something unusual. Something different. What is unusual and different about me? How 
how specific or <laughs> whatever comes to your head. All right, fine. This is the one that comes to my head after after really thinking this one over. <laughs> when I was I say seven or eight years old, I fell down. <laughs> I fell down an escalator. Um, no, nothing serious. That's why I'm laughing. Honestly, even if it was serious at this point, I'd probably laugh. Um, and I don't think I went on a down escalator until I was 14. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you never would have known that. You would have never known that. That's really, that's, that's the perfect answer. Those are the kind of answers I'm looking for. Okay, good. Well, thank you, JJ, so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Been a lot yeah, of fun. I did as well. I did as well. Take care. All right, Doug, take care. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.